Welcome to Under the Radar, a show about independent iOS app development. I'm Marco Arment. And I'm David Smith. Under the Radar is never longer than 30 minutes, so let's get started. So this week we kind of wanted to do, since last week was kind of our, our report card of how the App Store did and the various improvements and changes it made in 2017, kind of wanted to take today to be uh, our wish list for 2018. Um, these are not predictions. These are just things we, we hope to see in 2018, not from the App Store side of things, but from the API and platform side of things. Um, so I, I wanted to start that off the smallest to largest here. Um, the easiest one for me to start off with is iOS, because for me, iOS is so mature at this point. There's so much in it. It's really hard for me to come up with specifics of like, here's one big thing that I'm missing in iOS. Like, it's so complete and so mature. There's just so much there that I'm pretty good in iOS. The The only thing I really hope to see specifically in iOS 12 uh, is that iOS 10 and 11 have been slowly evolving fundamentals of their UI design and design patterns and design styles, but there's not a single coherent target that they seem to be going towards. Like, some apps look like Apple Music. Like, the new stock UI looks like Apple Music. Some apps look like Apple Maps, which is a totally different style than than music and everything else. A lot of apps have seemingly not been modified at all or not been reconsidered design-wise since iOS 7. Um, and, and, you know, iOS 7 is pretty old now, and, and I think the iOS 7 style looks pretty dated and, and is not really appropriate anymore, which is a big thing I want to, I want to address in Overcast, actually, because Overcast still looks very iOS 7 in a lot of ways, and, and I, I'd like to update that in the next major version. Um, but one of the problems is I don't really know what to update it to because it seems like Apple is designing in different directions in, in some of these apps. And I would like, you know, I, I think it's time for iOS 12. I think it's time for a single coherent redesign of the system on the level of iOS 7, or at least on the level of iOS 6, uh, and just provide coherent direction of here is the new design. You know, a lot of this is prompted by the iPhone 10. A lot of the need for this is prompted by the iPhone 10 because you have such a tall skinny aspect ratio. It's very hard to reach things at the top of the screen. You also have an OLED screen now, so black looks really good and people really want a lot more black. And also there can be a power savings to having a darker theme uh, compared to a lighter theme. So there's there's these changes now that the not only is the iOS 7 style design very dated looking just you know trend-wise, but also if it kind of falls down functionally in, in a number of areas, making everything so white and keeping so many important controls at the top uh, that I, I think in, in the new world we're now in, we need a new design and we need a coherent we, we need Apple to show us a single coherent design direction that we should all be going in. Yeah. And and I think to that end, like I totally agree that it would be lovely to have a like I feel like I went when I was seven was released there was a very clear straight like look and feel that that everything well other than the notes app um everything (laughs) was sort of moved towards um and then it seems like now they're kind of experimenting out again which is fine and isn't necessarily problematic but it is like i I think in general we look to the system apps as a sort of to lead the way and to be an example and so it certainly would be nice to get a sense from that or even ideally would be even moreover to have like a a specific a sort of proclamation about what 
you know, the design should, the standard design should be look like. And if you want to go different, that's great. You know, you can, if you want your app to, to have its own unique feel that that's awesome. But if you're trying to be, I mean, a feel more system, feel more built in, what does that look like? Um, and I feel in some ways it reminds me of, I feel like, like the material design guidelines, um, that uh, came out for Android, um, is a good example. I think of like, that is a very consistent, cohesive, um, set of design criteria and examples that, you know, can apply to a lot of situations. And I just don't feel like we have that. And I mean, I think along those lines, I've also been thinking like UI, UI kit is very complete, but I also think that it's, it's feel in a weird way. It still misses a bunch of little things. And I would love to see those, um, fully fleshed out. Like there are some controls that I feel like I'm, I'm doing many, I, I do, I create many times. Um, I mean, think of something that comes to mind, for example, is like a login form. Like I've written that's the same code with the same kind of logic and the same kind of experience so many times. And it's like, why isn't this a standard control that so many apps have a thing where it's going to ask you for two fields? One of them is a password field. The password field should have, you know, you do the autocorrect differently in the password field than the other field. You want the, when you hit next on the first field, which is the username or password, it should go to the next field. Like this is one of these things that while iOS is fairly complete, there's a lot of these little standard controls or like a modal blocker is another one that I think of that almost every one of my apps at some point, if you do any kind of in-app purchase or something like that, you have kind of this modal blocking UI. Why isn't there a standard UI kit uh, version of that? And, you know, well, that's, that's like, and both in terms of leading a towards a consistent design experience, but also to just kind of round out some of these rough edges that, um, you know, all the, every app on iOS is having to implement their own version of. At that point, it should eventually be a system-wide thing, probably. Agreed. you have anything else on the iOS side? Um, I think the only thing that comes to mind is just a, I would love to see a some kind of system-wide dark mode support. I think increasingly it seems like dark modes are a thing that, um, a lot of people want, uh, especially iPhone 10, uh, on, on the iPhone 10. And so having a consistent system wide sort of setting for that, that, you know, the user would open control center, go to dark, hit dark mode, and then, you know, their phone switches over into that. And then as an app, I can respond to that setting rather than it being something that is, you know, I'm doing at my app level, which means, you know, it, it's, inconsistent between applications. So I just like to see that as a, you know, as a system-wide switch that they could, uh, user could switch. Moving on to Mac OS. I don't have a lot to say because I'm barely a Mac developer. However, just to repeat the rumor that came out a couple of weeks ago that they're working on some kind of cross iOS and Mac OS UI library or something. That sounds awesome. And I really hope that's real. Um, and, and I would love to see the beginnings of something like that, uh, you know, even though it's probably a major project that is probably going to take years to actually flesh out uh, if it's underway at all, I would love to see part of that. Yeah, or at least to indicate that it's coming, I think would be like if it's it would be it's it's just it's newbie. Even if it isn't the first version, isn't the full and most complete thing you could imagine. I would love to just sort of see clear indications that that is something that they are putting weight behind and are. Are getting into and if we get the first sort of baby steps of that um, this year even that would be great i also wanted to have a brief section here on swift even though i i barely use it so far 
I would like to see just basically maturing of the language so that maybe I could use more of it. Uh, for me, one of the big things there is I want to see you know broadening of Swift on the server side. Uh, I definitely have more uses for that for it there that I would love to use, but it's still pretty young for that, and there's still not a lot of great like supporting libraries for that. Um, also, just maturing the language wise, I know some people are waiting on ABI stability. That that brings a number of other benefits. That would be nice from practical standpoints, but also I want to see the concurrency story um, really start to play out there. Like, what does that look like, especially, you know, in places where it's kind of badly needed, like the server side, where we, you don't have Grand Central Dispatch waiting for you? You know, I, I want to know more about that. I, I want to see Swift kind of, you know, just mature and stabilize to enable people to use it more and more ways in more places. Yeah. I mean, and I use, so I, I do actually use use Swift uh, in, in WordPress++ exclusively, and I, I agree with all of those things. Like, I think... The thing that I wish I could see more in Swift is just this v- overall vague, this this overall general sense that it's stable and mature. That the thing that is most frustrating to me with Swift is where, like, there's this. It feels like this never-ending stream of like, hey, here's this other cool thing that we we, we thought we could do. Hey, what about this cool thing? Hey, what about this cool thing? Um, and sometimes that's fine, but a lot of t- like every time there's a new major Swift version, it's like it. The number of, you know, they're very rarely source compatible and backwards compatible. And while I think initially it was reasonable and wise to uh, not care about source compatibility, like from source, from Swift version one to Swift version two, they, you know, to say like, hey, this is not going to be source compatible. Um, we're going to, you know, as we have make as we make this language the language that we want it to be, we're going to, you know, be allow us to allow ourselves the freedom to make changes. And I think that has worked very well. Like the the language has improved dramatically as a result. But I will say it's it's, it's a point where it's like, can this just be like, can this just be done yet? Like, can we yeah. just move on and? Say like, okay, this is what we're going to do with the understanding that it may not be perfect, that it, the language will never be perfect, but it's kind of frustrating to have this feeling that, you know, if, if anytime there's a new version of Swift, if I recompile my app, then suddenly half of the things are broken. And, um, you know, sometimes there's migration tools that are helpful for that, but it is, it feels like such a dangerous thing, um, to have to go and make wide, wide reaching changes throughout my entire application, um, you know, because of a language, because of a, you know, a language update, um, like it's not, not something that makes me feel great. So I just wish they'd get to that point, have it feel stable and for Swift to kind of be boring, you know, like every year, it's sort of like with objective C where it's like every year we get a little, like a little something like, Hey, now we're going to do the ability to, you know, uh, do wrapping around integer, integer literals, for example. Like that was like a feature they added to Objective C that, that we could do um, at you know parentheses around a number, and then it becomes an NS number. Like that's a great little like bonus. It doesn't break your old version that was doing you know creating the NS number directly, but it's a nice little bonus. And I'd love to get to that place with Swift where it's like every year it gets a little bit better, but not in ways that uh, compel you to take advantage of them because if you you know you have to switch your code around. Um, or just, you know, that there are these little quality of life, life changes, um, that would just make me feel better about using it. Uh, cause at this point I use it because I feel like it's good for me to, you know, understand Swift, to use it in a big app, um, and to future, future proof myself as a result. But I don't, you know, there, I have, still have some of these hangups around it that just aren't, that aren't great. Yeah. It seems like the, the perfect is very much being the enemy of the good with Swift now. 
and they you know they they need to settle it down and they have like they've made great progress towards that uh but it still is a moving target and and that you know a lot of people want their programming language to be a source of excitement i really don't i want my programming language to be boring as you said like because i don't want to have to worry about it changing every year like i I want to just you know be working at a higher level than that with, with with where i get my excitement um, anyway, before we jump into the big one, which I'll give you a hint is not TVOS, um, we are brought to you this week by Squarespace. Enter offer code RADAR at checkout to get 10% off your first purchase. Make your next move with Squarespace. Squarespace lets you easily create a website for your next idea with a unique domain, award-winning templates, and much more. Whether you want to create an online store or a portfolio or a blog or so many other kinds of websites, you can even make podcasts there. Squarespace is an all-in-one platform that lets you do exactly that. There's nothing to install, no patches to worry about, no upgrades needed. You don't have to worry about any of that stuff. Squarespace has it covered. And if you need any help, they have award-winning 24-7 customer support. And it's so easy with Squarespace to do everything you need to make a website, from easily grabbing a unique domain name and building amazing templates. These are award-winning, beautiful design templates for you to show off your great ideas. I, I use Squarespace for a couple of sites, and it is just so incredibly easy. You know, I think a lot of listeners to this show probably are likely to have the skill set where you can make your own CMS or you can run a server and, and host your and host CMS there. But that's usually not a very good use of your time. You really shouldn't be doing that. You should be doing you know bigger, better things than running your own CMS in your server. And and that's what Squarespace lets you do. It lets you take that time back and let them take care of the boring website hosting, and you can do better things. Um, so. Go to squarespace.com. Squarespace plans start at just $12 a month, and you can start a trial with no credit card required. With, when you decide to sign up for, for uh, Squarespace, make sure to use offer code RADAR to get 10% off your first purchase and to show your support for this show. We thank Squarespace for their support. Squarespace, make your next move. Make your next website. So here comes the big one. I, I think both of us have a lot to say <laughs> for, for the platform that I think gives us the most wish list items watch os you know to me it, I, what it comes down to with watch os the, the big thing you know i have a lot of small complaints about watch os as a developer but but the big complaint for me steve jobs during the very first iphone keynote in macworld 2007 uh there was a section debuting the safari web browser on the iphone and this was a revelation and Steve famously said that all the other phones at the time only had, quote, baby web browsers. You were only seeing the baby internet. And the iPhone was the breakthrough that would bring the real internet, real full web capability to phones. WatchKit is only letting us build baby apps. And Apple does not use WatchKit themselves. And it really, really shows you know, it's, you know, continuing the iPhone 1 nostalgia here, it's kind of like when iPhone OS 1.0, you know, they, there was no native app, native app API for developers, and they, they gave us the sweet solution of these inferior limited web apps, and Apple's own apps were all native, and they didn't, you know, Apple's apps were way better than what people could do with web apps in 2007. Apple needs to either port all of their watch apps to WatchKit, which would require them to expand and improve it quite a bit to, to accommodate all the things they do in their apps. Or they need to let developers finally write watch apps with the same UI framework and the same APIs that Apple uses for its watch apps. Because until that happens, 
we will only ever be able to make baby apps for the watch. And it's not reaching its full potential. It's not even, not even close to reaching its full potential. Ultimately, I have a lot of specifics about watchOS, but the big general thing is we can only write baby apps with WatchKit. And Apple doesn't use it, and it shows. Yeah, I mean, and I will say, like, while I have a very long list of, of like, kind of wish list items for watchOS, I think the reason why I have such a long list is because I feel like the platform has so much promise. It has such a possible, there's so many possibilities that are untapped there uh, in a way that the iPhone and iOS or some of the other platforms like the Mac feel very mature, very stable, very kind of done. Whereas I still feel like I've spent a tremendous amount of time making apps for the watch. And I feel like there is still a lot of potential there. There's a lot of things that I wish I was able to do, but I feel like I'm sort of being held back. Um, and I mean, so much of this feels like it's this weird hangover from, um, you know, watch kit one apps where it was this weird, like clever, but very weird situation where, you know, the UI ran on the watch, but the logic ran on the phone. And so, you know, currently you have, you know, all of your UI still goes into one giant storyboard and you can write, you know, send data to UI controls, but you can't read it back and you can't dynamically change it. You have to you know, you you, you ha- either have to have lots of different, uh, you know, interfaces for different lay- layouts or have layouts that are very, uh, you know, it's like have, have lots of hidden controls and things like that. Or you end up doing crazy stuff like, you know, like I do in Workouts Plus Plus. Like after, I, I wanted to have a totally customized um, workout display. And so I render that as an image and send it to the screen once a second, um, which is terrible. But it works well enough. But it's like there's all these situations like that that mean that I'm not able to do things that I would love to do. Like I would love to have be able to have more animation um, and th- and you know the similar types of experiences in my applications. But it's really hard to do animation right now in WatchOS. But clearly it's possible. Just look at the the first party apps. Like they are doing a lot of things there that are clearly possible. And as best I understand from a technical perspective, largely they're just running you, you know, UI kit applications um, with a slightly different, you know, a few different with different controls, but it's, they have the ability for us um, to do that. And, you know, it's really strange. I've thought with on a, the, the UI side of things that like they keep, they add the added sprite kit and scene kit um, to it, which I've tried a little bit, but it's like, it's, they're way overblown for what most applications are trying to, to do. Um, but that yet they still haven't given us UI kit, which is like the one that would actually be useful. And, you know, maybe it's not, it's not full UI kit. Like I don't need UI table views, um, in, on my watch, but having the ability to, you know, to override draw rect on a view and, put things into it like or and being able to dynamically add and remove sub views like some of these really basic um, operations i think would dramatically increase the capability of our applications um and you know it's like clearly it's possible so that gives me some encouragement that it's not like we're asking for the moon that it's just it's you know it's that it's technically impossible to do these things because their apps are currently doing it and i just hope that eventually we get to the point that they say you know, we're going to drop this paradigm that was necessary for WatchKit One, and we're going to replace it with something new, with something better, um, and kind of run run in a different direction um, that will allow us to do so much more. Because I feel like the types of applications and how compelling those applications can be um, would just dramatically increase. You know, when they finally do that, hopefully. 
Yeah, because WatchKit, it, you know, it, it was designed back, you know, for the Watch One when the apps were running on the phone, and it was just sending the basically transmitting like basic UI commands to the watch UI and having it kind of you know run like you know remotely. And so it's a very simplistic UI framework that's very very limited in all these ways, you know, and it seemed like that was just the temporary solution that it maybe it was rushed together you know at a, at a late time in the project when they decided oh we do need third party apps from day 1 or something like that you know we've heard mixed things here and there it doesn't matter but it seems like that was like a kind of a, a temporary rush job to get the minimum functionality for apps to work on the watch and then rather than throwing it away when they had more time and and moved native execution to the watch they just kept it and now we're running this this like limited this very limited you know UI framework as our only way to make watch UIs. Um, it's that's not that's not sustainable long term. Like and it's and and you can tell like if it was so good, why doesn't Apple use it? You know, and and the answer is because it's not so good. It's very limited, and as you know, for all these reasons you just said, like there there are so many ways to make better and nicer watch apps if we had direct access to the version of UI kit that they run. But we don't, and it's it's kind of on, on so many levels. It's frustrating that you know it really does feel very similar to the iPhone one with us having to make web apps and Apple doing all the cool native stuff. And there, you know, I can get into some specifics for what specifically bothers me about my watch app capability beyond just the UI stuff that you mentioned. Which, by the way, so much of what makes watch apps limited and, and in many ways mediocre is those UI limitations. Like so many things about, oh, well, you can't have this kind of title show here without rendering the whole screen manually. You can't have this kind of screen that presents from this kind of screen. Like just weird limitations or or like gesture recognizer priority. Like I can't do certain types of designs because it makes the taps not recognized properly because I can't have control over the gesture recognizers. Like there's so many little things, little and big things because watch os or watch kit is not ui kit it does not expose what ui kit exposes and and we could make such better apps if we had what we have on ios and, and it doesn't and it, you're right like it doesn't seem like there's any kind of major technical reason why we can't because those apis are all there just they're private on the watch and we can't use them and only apple can use them um you know, I'm not asking for a lot of like you know heavy processing things or, or trying to keep the screen on all the time or anything like that. Like uh, we're, we're we're asking for like better button libraries and better view libraries and stuff. Um, specifically, you know, I, I also have problems with the, with the media capabilities. I, I think it's pretty clear that a very major use case for the watch, especially as it becomes more independent from the phone, is audio playback, and Apple really does not make that good and i've documented this in so many ways in the past so i'm not going to go go you know deep on it now i would say specifically i would like to have um background audio for any app not just workout apps that's the big one let let the app continue to work in the background just like it does on ios and just like it does on the watch if it happens to be a workout app that's running a workout so we know it's possible um, but you know, let any app play background audio on the watch the same way it works in the phone. Only one of them can be playing it at once. That's fine. That way you keep memory in check and everything. Let the app run in the background while playing audio and drop WK audio file player and that entire awful system. Um, I would also like to see uh, the uh, MP now playing info center or an equivalent to let us control what shows on the now playing screen. Uh, and also MP remote control or MP remote command center 
or its equivalent, which lets us interpret the like skip back, skip forward, play pause buttons or commands from AirPods and other Bluetooth headphones, lets us interpret those in our app in custom ways. These are both things that have existed on the iPhone for about a decade, and uh, they're great. <laughs> and so we, you know, we we need that. We need, or we need some equivalent of those things on WatchOS. Yeah, and I think I'd add to that in the same vein. I would love to be able to um, have some kind like the now playing app. I would love to see a something the equivalent of like a now playing interface controller that could be inserted into other apps. So, like for me, for example, like I'd love to be able to. You know, if you're listening to music from your iPhone um, or from the music app on the watch, to be able to control that within the app, that you don't have to leave and come back, um, or at the very least, to be able to control the volume. Um, yes, volume is like a it, big one. It is. It is incredibly frustrating that, especially because AirPods are Apple's like their solution for it is a Bluetooth headset that has no way to control the volume. Yeah. Um, it would be awesome if they allowed applications to, you know, either I could understand, maybe they don't want you to be programmatically able to set the volume, but then at least give me a control, like give me some UI element that I can add to my application that does allow you to control the, uh, the volume. I would love to see that. And I think it has, it allows for just a broadening of what's possible. Uh, you know, with audio on the on the watch beyond even, the, you know, like being able to play audio is really important. But I think even at the very least, to be able to control the audio that is playing from another source would be a, a, a massive step forward. Yeah, exactly. And I, I would also wish for um, better and and more informative phone to watch file transfers. Uh, the the file transfer API is is very, very limited. Um, specifically, it does not allow you to create a good user experience because uh, a, it's super slow. Even if Wi-Fi is available, even if it's on its charger, it will not use Wi-Fi um, if it can if it can use Bluetooth instead. And Bluetooth is way slower. So you basically have a, a pretty bad situation where like you can't force the transfer to use the fast Wi-Fi, even you know no matter what the power state is. Uh, also, there's no progress reporting, which is a huge problem. <laughs> so basically, you can't create a good user experience because the user has this long-running, you know, horribly slow Bluetooth file transfer that they're waiting on, and all you can say is, I think it's transferring, or it's done. That's it. Those are the only two states you can tell is, I think it's going and it's done. We, you know, what we're asking for here is is not the world. You know, what we're asking for here is ways to let us make apps that give people good functionality and good user experiences. That's what we want from watchOS. And I just, I don't want to be making a baby app anymore. I want to be making real watchOS apps so that I can actually make good watchOS apps. Yeah. And to that end, what I love about some of these things that we're asking for, like I would love, you know, to, to have faster transfers between the phone and the watch or just for the watch in general to be faster downloading, like even if it's downloading from the internet. Um, and what I love, what's frustrating and encouraging to me is that I know this is technically possible because if I take a Series 3 Apple Watch and I, tur- and I put my phone in airplane mode and I'm not on any Wi-Fi, like I go walk out into a field that has good LTE reception, I can download MP, you know, I can download podcasts from remote servers at tremendous speeds. Like I can download <laughs> an entire podcast in 10 seconds. So tech, clearly the hardware and the frameworks are make are all you know are there for to allow this. It's just a question of opening it up. And so I would hope that at a certain point we they just allow it. And they say if they take a hit on battery life, but it means that like I would far prefer for my for my watch to 
be incredibly, you know, compelling and useful and, you know, have a more difficulty on battery life. Though, honestly, battery life has gotten so good that I imagine they have the headroom to do this anyway. But I would love to, yeah, just get rid of Bluetooth unless you absolutely have to, or at least give us the ability to say this is a high priority or user interactive task. And so, like, for a user interactive task, you know, even if there's some app review that I have to, you know, I have to, you know, compel, I have to say why I'm user interactive, why I need the permission to like skip Bluetooth and go straight to Wi-Fi. Um, like, I don't care. I, I would love to have the ability to do that. I think it would make the app so much more compelling and just open up so many more things. I would also like to see, I, I think it's time for uh, developers to be able to make custom watch faces. Um, that, that should be an app type that we can offer or an extension type that we can offer. Um, because you know the the Apple Watch has so much potential for smarts and for intelligence and for just cool you know design choices in the watch faces. It's hard to do in a way that's that's you know power efficient to you know to offer developers this ability. I know it's hard, uh, but you know there's a lot of smart people working at Apple, and the watch is now what three years old. So you know I think they can make it happen if they want to. Um, and it's also pretty clear that Apple is not going to supply a lot of custom watch faces themselves. They, they, they added them very slowly, very, very slowly. Um, I'd like to be able to do that. Uh, and so, you know, that's one more little kind of stretch goal wish list item besides drop all of WatchKit. <laughs> yeah. uh, minor thing here. Also, let us make custom watch faces. Yeah. And I think, or at the very least, I would love to see a better mechanism for complications that I feel like the current complication system is built around the concept of time travel. Right, which is flop, I think. A feature that was there in the first early versions of watchOS and now I think is off by default. Like, it, no one likes it, but the basic sort of complication system is still built around this concept of having to provide data for the future and the past. And, like, I would love to see that kind of overwritten and be made more straightforward and more telling to the current situation. Yeah. All right, well, here's hoping we get some of our wishes and here's hoping for a good 2018. Thanks for listening, everybody, and we'll talk to you next week. Bye.